0: This time, debit card users are also included in the cashback fund. Now everyone can get cashback on everyday purchases with Discover Cashback Debit. That includes no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Welcome to So Bad, It's Good with Ryan Bailey presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture. From the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Folks, welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad, It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal, Ryan, and this is your Wednesday episode. We are doing a full week of shows, folks, because there is just so much to talk about, so many great people to talk to, and we have an amazing guest today, and I'll speak about her in a second. Uh, She is the director of a very powerful four-part docu-series which you can find now on max called let us pray a ministry of scandals and her name is sharon lee so i'll talk about her in a second so if you want to skip to that right now remember there are timestamps on this show so i totally get it if you want to skip to the interview but until then we are going to do some pop culture stories and i just want to let everybody know i'm very aware that real housewives of salt lake city the third part of the reunion aired tonight. Listen, after watching three parts of the reunion, I will say... That finale is one of the best finales I've ever seen. I don't think the reunions, nor did I predict they would even come close to that. And I hold true to that, Um, not by any fault of Andy or anything like that. I just think when you have that great of an hour of television, you're going to be hard-pressed to actually come up with all of the answers that I think the audience were really hungry for. Um, Now, don't worry. We're going to be doing, of course, a super-sized, so-bad-it's-good Real Housewives of Salt Lake City recap cap our last one of the year that'll be out on thursday oh man i've got a day ahead of me tomorrow folks Oof. i'm going back on jeff lewis live the after show tomorrow uh i know Stasi schroeder and uh uh, Stasi Schroeder and Mercedes from the traders. They're going to be his main guests. And then uh, we'll do the wrap up the after show afterwards with me and Monica Casey. So if you listen to Sirius XM and Jeff Lewis, make sure to tune into the after show or even call up. You can call the number and talk to me live tomorrow about anything that was talked on the Jeff Lewis show. Hopefully they'll talk about Salt Lake City tomorrow so we can get into that because I would love to talk about it there just to warm me up for the recap. But I guess just really some quick, quick snap judgment thoughts on all of this. And and I will say, if you've been listening to the show this week on Monday, I kind of dropped some information that I was given from a source. And I do want to say, uh, you know, listen, at this point, I hate when I see myself tagged in something or I mean, I love hate it. If it's bad, I hate it. If it's good, it's really nice. But man, I woke up to getting tagged in a lot of things. And uh, I think I almost I was like, oh, God, triggering, triggering. Um, But it was basically talking about some of the information i had given on Monday's episode with Sophie Ross. And I think I mentioned it yesterday uh, on yesterday's episode as well, was that uh, Monica Garcia was not being asked back to Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. You know what's so funny? When I said that information, I didn't think that was the key component. I thought it was more exciting to hear about that they had already cast new cast members. That was the piece of information that I was really excited about. Uh, The Monica stuff, I kind of figured that there was no way forward with Monica if the core four is not wanting to deal with her. And well, you know what? We're going to talk all about this on Thursday because I have so many really, really, I have some big thoughts about this and what everybody's doing. But I will say, fan reaction does matter. And you will see, even after people confirmed the news, there has been a little bit of backtracking from producers saying, like, hey, who knows? You never know. You know, time will tell. Monica, who knows? She may come back down the line. And that's the other thing, too. And Monica, if you're listening, or Monica's mom, if you're listening, Really, don't do anything completely out of pocket like you've done a lot in the past. Don't do anything out of pocket, because if you do want to come back, there is this window of opportunity that you can be used elsewhere. At the end of the day, no matter what you think about Monica Garcia She did provide some really good television. Now, I've said this all season long, too, is that the way in which she presents her arguments needs a lot of work. I'm very, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I thought she could have gone in there and gave a stunning performance, a Heather Gay performance, if you will. And she didn't, you know, she let a lot of anger and kind of potty mouth, uh, potty mouth verbiage kind of dictate certain things that I thought she could have done way better on. And at the end of the day, the other thing I, I, I keep thinking about is the Angie K documents that, you know, the whole conversation between Meredith and Monica, it really all, you know, if, if Monica is the person behind those documents, if she is lying once again, I mean, then I think, yeah, it is a wrap. And I, but that's the thing about the reunion. And I knew we weren't going to get it is that, Monica, tell us the truth or somebody tell us the truth of what is going on here with those documents, because if you can prove that, then she genuinely was not after just Jen Shaw, but she was after other people in the cast and taking them down. And then it becomes a completely different ballgame. And yes, I don't approve of anybody uh, videotaping somebody or having access to somebody's video camera and using that against them. But I will say it's Jen Shaw and Jen Shaw is a horrible person, allegedly. Am I saying that Right. Um, and I still, to this day, even after that black eye explanation, I am like Whitney says, I'm more confused than when we started this. I was very confused and I still the, the Heather of it all. OK, I'm not going to talk about this right now, but I'm just saying also, you know, they are. They've also confirmed that they were starting February 5th, which I did know, but I didn't tell you guys on Monday. So I kept that secret. So I just I'm not. I don't tell everything that I know. I don't want to become untrustworthy in that sense. And I am still hanging on to one name that nobody has gotten right today uh, that will be a new cast member. So um, I'm excited to tell you guys more about that. And uh, Thursday, I am looking forward to it. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to get a bunch of Diet Coke. I'm going to have a Celsius and we are going to rock and roll, baby. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. And we're going to get a lot of information out there. Okay. But I'm very excited. So please tune in on Thursday supersized we're gonna have fun it's gonna be awesome okay uh the Oscars I want to talk about the Oscars and I want to talk about Tristan Thompson and then we'll get to our fabulous guest um so the Oscar nominations came out and I talked about this on Tuesday's episode. I was really excited to see you know, if Zac Efron was going to potentially get a Dark Horse nomination for The Iron Claw. That did not happen. That did not happen, folks. And we got a lot of things that I think we were all thinking were going to happen if you were a fan of the movies and a fan of the movies this year that we thought were you know like oh that's like a guaranteed so the two big ones that i think a lot of people i don't know if they're arguing but i've seen a lot of weird discourse is greta gerwig for best director for barbie and margot robbie for best actress for barbie and i will say both of these uh women are nominated in different categories because remember margot robbie produced barbie and barbie has a best picture nomination and greta gerwig nominated for uh, best, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for Barbie with her dude, Noah Bombau. So they both were nominated. But my thing with this overall is that I can understand people's disappointments because Ryan Gosling got a nomination for Ken and America Ferrara got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Barbie. And they are both really amazing in that movie. But Greta Gerwig you know already just i mean the amazing film she's made already lady bird just lady bird is a classic uh of course her adaptation of little women um that was amazing as well and and she will now have a career as a director and i'm so for the rest of her life i'm so excited to see what she does next what she attempts to do But what they did, and remember, Margot Robbie brought this idea to Warner Brothers, really pitched this idea, really pitched her as Barbie, the whole world, hired Greta Gerwig as the director and the writer of this. Because remember, Barbie went through so many different iterations, and it passed through so many hands. Now, in the 90s, Sharon Stone was involved in it. She just came out in a recent interview and said that. And then Amy Schumer, believe it or not, was attached to write and star as Barbie. Yeah, believe it or not, as Barbie, she was attached to that for a couple of years and then uh, that they parted ways and then it went into Margot Robbie and Margot Robbie really believed and pitched to big studios of give us a lot of money and I can make this a blockbuster. I can make it a four quadrant film. Four quadrants mean it's hitting every demographic, all of this stuff, and we're going to make it where you can sell toys. You can do all that stuff that movie studios like to do because that's ancillary, ancillary, ancillary markets you know, making money off of toys, making money off this and that beyond the movie. But also what Margot Robbie wanted to do and Greta Gerwig really connected and hit a home run with was making the film about something more. And I know a lot of people will say, well, it's basic feminism and all of this stuff, but who cares? At least it's giving some sort of message, you know, at least it's giving something. It's, it's about more than just, uh, you know, your average film that you would normally see based on a toy and most movies don't attempt to do that and i thought greta gerwig's visual style her vision the way she works with actors the way she was able to you know hone that script and really you felt like it was a complete vision or at least i felt that but also it traveled to the masses it made over a billion dollars this is a billion dollar film directed by a woman now women didn't get shut out of best director. There is a best director, uh, Justine Triette for anatomy of a fall. So congratulations to Justine. But I was really hoping for a Greta Gerwig one. I really was. And it wasn't even like, I thought that was a lock. I didn't even question it. And I also thought Margot Robbie and listen, Ken, you know, Ryan Gosling, that's a brilliant, brilliant comedic performance. I thought he was able to do a lot with that that you wouldn't expect and also out of ryan gosling now we also forget with ryan gosling ryan gosling isn't some new actor we have loved ryan gosling for you know close to two decades now i'm not even counting him being in the mickey mouse club with justin and britney and christina but he is just such a fine actor and i don't mean hot even though he is really good looking but i mean just a really great actor every film he does he does something really interesting and i think ken is just such a thankless part, but I do find it troubling that in a world where we talk about the patriarchy that Ken is nominated and not Barbie. I just think there's some kind of weird unfairness. And the other thing, and I know I'm really hopped up on my Barbie horse right now because yes, it is not a perfect movie. Most films aren't, there are problems with Barbie. My God, of course, but I just think (laughs) in this day and age, you know, we we need to celebrate these things that actually bring people back to the theaters. I always get up on my high horse about this, of like, I always get scared that movie theaters are going to eventually go away. But here is something Barbie and, of course, Oppenheimer on that flip side. We had Barbenheimer, of course, and Oppenheimer was very heavily uh, rewarded today in nominations. But I just thought Barbie was this thing. That really made people, it was a destination event, you know, and it really gave you faith in the power of movie theaters. And I thought that would be celebrated. And like I said, it is not going home empty handed in terms of nominations because it got tons of nominations. I just thought those two in particular, I thought were locks, but let's go through some of the nominations and then we'll go through some of the things that I believe are a little wonky. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll start bitching about Tristan Thompson. So Oppenheimer led this with 13 nominations, uh, followed by Emma Stone starring Poor Things, the Yorgos Lanthimos film, which earned 11. And then Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon received 10 nominations, but did not receive a Best Actor nomination for Leonardo DiCaprio which I found interesting. Uh Barbie scored 8 and then the new film American Fiction starring Jeffrey Wright netted 5 nominations. So this is the 96th 96th annual Academy Awards. It's going to be held Sunday, March 10th. So mark it on your calendars. It'll be the Dolby Theater at uh Ovation Hollywood and it's going to air live on ABC. The show will be hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel. It's going to be his fourth time doing this. Now remember last year Everything, Everywhere, All at Once swept with seven wins, including Best Picture. So that's our big winner from last year. Now, Best Picture, we have 10 nominations. Remember, Best Picture used to only have five nominations. And then when ratings kind of lagged, they upped it to 10 so they could include more popular films to actually get a wider viewing audience for the Oscars. So this is our 10. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall. Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro got in there, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, which I think is a beautiful film, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Now, The Zone of Interest, uh, I believe, is Holocaust-related, and it's one of those films that everybody I've read that have seen it or heard, you know, be like, it is an incredible film, I will never see it again. It is supposed to be a very, very intense viewing film experience. So for best actress, this is starts with a surprise. We got Annette Bening for Niad. NIAD is a film you can find on Netflix right now. Um, and I did not think Annette Benning was going to get that, but Annette Benning got a Best Actress nomination. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Sandra Hewler for Anatomy of a Fall. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. And Emma Stone for Poor Things. Maestro did really decent, actually. Now, Best Actor, you got Bradley, Bradley Cooper from Maestro. Bradley Cooper got a Best Actor. Coleman Domingo from Rustin. Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. Uh, Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, or Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Um, Now, you know, people are saying this is a two-horse race between Paul Giamatti and uh, Killian Murphy, so we will see. Best Supporting Actress, we have Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferrara, Barbie, Jodie Foster for Niad. also. So two acting nominations for NIAD and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Now, Divine has won the Golden Globe, The Critics' Choice. People are saying this is a lock we will see best supporting actor. You have Sterling K. Brown for American fiction, Robert De Niro for killers of the flower moon, Robert Downey jr. Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, Mark Ruffalo, poor things. And Robert Downey jr. Has won critics choice and golden globe. He seems to be a front runner for this. Um, best director, uh, Justine Triette for anatomy of a fall, Martin Scorsese killers of the flower moon, Christopher Nolan Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for poor things. And Jonathan Glazer for the zone of interest. Uh, I think everybody thinks this is going to Chris Nolan. We will see now, uh, this is, you know, every person in this category is, you know, kind of a chef's kiss. I mean, there's a dark horse here with Justine Triet, especially because I think a lot of people are potentially furious about Barbie being in there. Will they overcompensate by saying, let's give it to the female director? Let's, you know, is there a chance of that? Now, I'm not talking about films anymore. I'm talking about actual competition within voting blocks. Elevating my style used to mean breaking the bank, but with Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces at prices I can actually afford. Now I can upgrade my style by snagging killer luxury essentials that sync with my vibe and my wallet. You guys know I've got a blue linen blazer. Now I have a black leather jacket, and I have my eye on this Italian suede trucker jacket. I think that's going to be my next purchase. So Quince creates timeless essentials that never go out of style. You're going to have them in your closet forever. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash so good to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash so good. Tryfirstleaf.com slash so good. Now what you see with Hollywood, and this is so fascinating, there's a great book that I listened to. Um, last year, uh, about the Oscars, I think it maybe it was just called the Oscars. I'll, I'll find out that book, but it was just such a great book. I want to have the author on before the Oscars. Um, it was called Oscar Wars. It was, it was so good. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm forgetting the name, but, uh, you know, it, it talks about the campaigns, you know, the campaigns to get nominated, but then once you're nominated the campaign to win the campaign to win. And this is when Hollywood gets really kooky. You start seeing a lot of ads, a lot of billboards. It like really becomes pressure filled in Los Angeles around this time of year for these movies. So you could go like Marty Scorsese. I mean, this guy's a legend. He's still living, a living legend, an artiste, you know, so you're going to see a lot of campaigning with that artiste potentially. Now, best original screenplay. You got Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, Past Lives, And then Best Adapted Screenplay, you got American Fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things in the Zone of Interest. The interesting thing about Barbie, Best Adapted Screenplay, there's no source material besides a doll. So a lot of people are like, well, why isn't that Best Original Screenplay? Why is it Best Adapted? Adapted usually comes from like a book or a play or something like that. This comes from a toy. So it's a little bit different. And there's been some grumbling about that. And also, I just Maestro was actually co-written by Bradley Cooper. So he is nominated Best Actor, Best Original Screenplay. Now, Best Cine- Cinematography, you have a movie that I really have not heard much about until this nomination, El Conde, which you can find on Netflix. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, another Maestro, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Best Original Score, American Fiction, Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Best Original Song, You Had the Fire Inside from Flamin' Hot, the uh, flaming Hot Cheetos movie. So that's that was kind of a surprise. I'm Just Ken by Barbie, which means there's like a 90% chance that Ryan Gosling is going to have to perform at the Oscars. Very exciting. You have It Never Went Away, American Symphony. Uh, you have Waza Zabi, A Song for My People from Killers of the Flower Moon. And then Billie Eilish's What Was I Made For from Barbie. The front runner is What Was I Made For? That seems to be sweeping. Who knows, though? Best Editing, you have Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Uh, Best Production Design, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Now, Napoleon kind of got shut out because there was kind of a little bit of rumbling that Joaquin Phoenix may be a dark horse uh, for Best Actor, who knows? Best Costume Design. This is going to be a tough category. Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things. Now, this is tough because Barbie really... I mean, God, eye-popping, right? Vi- visual, visually stunning. But then Napoleon, like amazing costuming. Oppenheimer, obviously, poor things, uh, is very different. It's not based on any kind of time. It's If you see it, you'll understand. And Killers of the Flower Moon, I got to tell you, I went to an event for Vanity Fair last week where we got to hear uh, Lily Gladstone was there, who would got nominated for Best Actress, but also the costume designer, for Killers of the Flower Moon. And her and the lady she worked with, uh, it was so beautiful the way they talked about it. And just to, I've never been so, I mean, you know, I, I mainly shop at Old Navy, but the way they talked about their work made me rethink, I mean, it just, you just then just kind of fantasize about all of these creative minds coming together to make this movie, to make any movie. But the the seriousness in which she took it of finding, you know, the 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 right you know the 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 right costuming to be you know historically factual to be able to tell this story or to help Martin Scorsese tell this story through costuming and to respect the Osage. And it just I was like, oh my god, give her the Oscar right now. I was blown away. Uh best makeup and hairstyling, you got Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor thing, Society of the Snow. Uh, we'll see if, uh, Maestro can get it for Bradley Hooper's prosthetic nose. Best sound, the creator, Maestro, Mission Impossible, t- Oppenheimer in the zone of interest. You know, you know, uh, you know, conventional wisdom says, you know, Oppenheimer's going to take all of this. Best visual effects, the creator, Godzilla minus one, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three, Mission Impossible, and Napoleon. Now best visual effects, you're going, Hey, where's Oppenheimer? Now, this is interesting. Oppenheimer, Chris or Nolan said there are no CGI shots in Oppenheimer. All practical shots. No, I mean, this is fascinating to me and potentially why he didn't get a Best Visual Effects nomination. Uh, you have Best International feature, uh, Lo Capitano, Perfect Days, Society of the Snow, The Teacher's Lounge, and The Zone of Interest. So this is interesting. interesting. You got Best International feature for The Zone of Interest, but you also have it in Best Picture. So it's in both categories. And I think that's going to hurt chance of any Best Picture nomination for that. Best Animated Feature... You have Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, Robot Dreams, Nimona, Elemental, and The Boy and the Heron. Now, I think any other year Spider-Man would take this, but The Boy and the Heron is a Miziaki Miziaki film. I believe I'm saying his name right. A Japanese legend, uh, truly a legend. So I think this is given to him without a doubt. Um, And then we got best short live action and um, animated best documentary feature. Um, and Best Documentary Short. So those are the categories and the nominations or the nominees. And then here are a couple interesting things in in kind of snubs, in a sense. If you are your, your big Oscar heads out there, we can talk about some of the snubs. So no Leo or Zach Efron in Best Actor. We didn't get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem in Best Animated Film because I thought that was a great film, um, truly. And the way they did the animation in that was very unique. Um, no Margot Robbie and best actress, but also no Greta Lee from the film past lives. Greta Lee, you know, her work, if you watch, um, uh, the morning show, but she does something so beautiful in past lives. Just, it made me, I was like, oh, this is a, this is a very real person who I'm watching on screen and very different than the character, the characters that I've seen her play in the past. Uh, no Charles Melton or Willem Dafoe in best supporting actor. Willem Dafoe was, a uh, you know, a contender for, uh, poor things. But my, one of my biggest heartbreaks here is Charles Melton. Charles Melton may December, which you can see on Netflix. Also no Julianne Moore, no Natalie Portman. Um, is, uh, he gave one of the best performances of the year. Charles Melton knocked it out of the park. I am still thinking about his performance and I watched it in December And I was really bummed. I thought this was a shoo-in for a nomination. And I've been saying that on this show. So very sad. No Rachel McAdams in Best Supporting Actress. Um, I thought that was very sad um, because Rachel McAdams, also a national treasure, and I just wanted her nominated also so she could be near Ryan Gosling and we could think about The Notebook, that amazing movie. That would be amazing. Also, uh, Rachel McAdams did a cameo with Renee Rapp on this past week's. Uh, saturday night live so that was that was really exciting i really thought there was a dark horse chance that she would get nominated as well um because she was just in uh last year she was in the judy bloom movie are you there god it's me margaret and she gave a great performance so i thought there was a chance people were talking about it um so bummed about that Uh, The Iron Claw, John Wick 4, and Priscilla got zero nominations. Priscilla, Sophia Coppola's film with Jacob Lordi, that received nothing. John Wick 4, which was technically amazing and very impressive, got zero. And uh, yeah, so those were a couple of the disappointing things. We will be doing full Oscar coverage as it gets more near, and I I will continue to tell you little bits and pieces of, uh, you know, leading up to the Oscars about the magic of the movies, but do yourself a favor, go check these movies out. Um, we did a Patreon a couple of uh, weeks ago with uh, me and Michelle humans. Uh, and uh, you know, she's a big movie buff as well. And we had the best time, but I'm going to try to see everything this year. I'm going to try to see everything and really put my heart and soul into this. Cause it's, it's exciting to have a goal. So my goal is to see all the movies. It's like last year when my goal was to stop drinking Diet Coke and now I'm drinking more Diet Coke than ever. Okay, uh, Tristan Thompson, (laughs) this guy, huh? Tristan Thompson got into a little bit of trouble today. Our pal Tristan Thompson This is great. And also it shows how strong my brand is, is that I got so many messages about Tristan Thompson. And once again, I was starting to get like blown up about Tristan Thompson messages. I get really scared when a lot of people start texting me at once, but it was, it was just about Tristan Thompson. So, um, Cleveland Cavaliers player, Tristan Thompson suspended for 25 games for violating NBA's drug policy. Now, uh, yeah, they did drug testing Um, And it is going to keep him off the floor for two months. Now, he tested positive for ibutamorin, which is a human growth hormone. It's commonly used by bodybuilders and weightlifters for muscle enhancement. Thompson will begin serving a suspension Wednesday when the Cavs, who won eight straight games, play the first two in three days at Milwaukee. You know, this is the point where I just check out. I'm like, okay, sports. Uh, I was like, is Taylor Swift going to be there? That's what all I care about. I'm joking, kind of. So he is out for 25. He, he, he They tested him and he failed. Once again, Tristan Thompson potentially not being honest. And all I could think was last season of the Kardashians when Chloe would be like, Tristan works out with me every day. It's our best time of the day. We just, we're great workout buddies. And I'm like, Tristan, look at me, buddy. I know you you cheated on her a bunch, but if you were giving this girl human growth hormone, I mean, that's it. And also don't let Chris know if you do because she'll just probably reward you even more. I was just thinking... Does Chris Jenner have to man the phone all day, you know, man the phones all day to try to like do, you know, like, oh, we're in battle mode. We got to get to the war room, which is some like expensively decorated, like, moogler, you know, area where Chris makes calls and threatens people. Like, what does Chris Jenner? Because remember, Chris Jenner got Tristan the job as a sports commentator last year, put the call in for him on that. And we saw that scene in the Kardashians. And I was just so livid. I think I talked about it on the Patreon. I was so livid because I was like, dude, if you cheat on one of the Kardashians, Kris Jenner has no other course of action except to reward you. Like she rewards Tristan Thompson for doing this to her daughter. Like you'll never make it make sense. But, Chloe is still holding strong. I mean or she just hasn't told us if she's ever reconciled with Tristan Thompson. But this is bad. This is not great for Tristan. It is another strike against him. Um and I will be curious to hear how they deal with it on a new season of the Kardashians because if Chris is smart about one thing and that's, you know, she's smart about so many things, is that she will find a way to put this in as some sort of light storyline, an appetizer, if you will, for the main storylines. And also speaking of the Kardashians, Kim came out and she's a Balenciaga spokesperson again. So remember, you can, you know, you can be mad at companies, but only for a year. And then hopefully people will forget about anybody's bad uh bad stuff and then then move on and and you can work with them again. So Kim is working with Balenciaga again. So Tristan Thompson out for 25 games. We are all brokenhearted. uh, But yeah, I'm not surprised. It is fun to hear from my guy friends that are like, hey, I know uh, I'm going to send you a sports story because that's what I follow. Um, And I know you watch, I think he's on a reality show too. So maybe you'll like the story. It's very touching when your male friends reach out to you that way. They try to connect. I like it. I like it. Um, And also a very special shout out to my dad, Bill Bailey. He had a very important doctor's appointment today. You know, we talked about on the show is that he, uh, his forehead, there was cancer on his forehead, which is, you know, real big year for cancer in the Bailey family. Um, And they dug it out and they thought they got it, but they didn't. So they had to dig it out more. And the next step was chemo, but they they got it and everything is good and no chemo so we got a win for the bailey family my dad does not have to do chemo and we are good right now so we are celebrating so a big shout out to bill bailey i was kind of scared about that i didn't want to say anything to you guys but uh i got the news today very very thrilled about that so thanks for all your well wishes for my family okay let us get to our amazing guest. And I want to give a little bit of a, a trigger warning here is that the, this is, you know, these are serious topics that we are going to talk about today. Um, and uh, I just want you to be prepared for that. But I think it is a beautiful, uh, heartbreaking, tragic, um, you know, docu-series that I watched. It's called Let Us Pray, A Ministry of Scandals. It was an ID docu-series, but it lives on Max and uh you've probably seen it when you've been scrolling on max it is directed by emmy award winning filmmaker sharon lee and she is our guest today now this docu series exposes the predatory and insidious behavior within the ifb and that is the independent fundamental baptist churches uh the story is told through first hand accounts from survivors church defectors and activists um you know, this offers crucial insight into the troubling culture within the independent fundamental Baptist church and the stronghold the church has on its members. So, uh, you know, since its inception in the 1950s, the IFB has evolved into one of the most dominant religion for, r- religious forces in the United States, and it kind of takes you through that in the docu-series. Um, there's an estimated 8 million believers spread out over 6,000 churches across the country. Um, this uncovers those dark inner workings behind, you know, the IFB's, you know, cheery and virtuous exterior by exposing depraved secrets and violence that have existed within their churches for decades, rituals oriented towards Quote breaking a child's will, mind control and torture are only the tip of the iceberg. Now below that surface, of course, lurks accusations of uh, trigger warning, rape and physical abuse of members, including minors, at the hands of IFB figureheads. So this docu series gives us testimony from some really brave survivors who have come forward to tell their stories and seek justice. So you have IFB defectors, survivors Ruthie Heiler, Kathy Durbin, Amanda Householder, among others who are brave enough to share their accounts of abuse at the hands of church leaders and the violence, manipulation, and suspected cover-ups of other members. That also features key independent voices, including, you know, a Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporter, Sarah Smith, who kind of helped break this whole story. She's one of the first journalists to uncover this tangled web but it is just a very powerful docu-series. I don't think that people will be able to kind of binge this. You want to uh, take like one episode at a time, potentially, unless you are stronger than me. But also our guest, Sharon Lease, who I talk about in the very beginning, she is just a, you know, kind of an amazing woman. She's a critically acclaimed and award-winning filmmaker. And, uh, you know, she has won an Emmy. She has, uh, you know, she had, Uh, one of her films on an Oscar shortlist and nominated for the Critics Choice Documentary Award. And I'm so excited to see what uh, Sharon does with the rest of her career, uh, because I think she is a very powerful storyteller. So I was very thrilled to be able to talk to her. And I know we make a lot of jokes on this show. And I think this is... uh, you know, this is a serious interview. So I want to let you know that, but there are also lighthearted moments, you know, we're also two people connecting and, you know, hearing about this story. So check it out. I I hope you will, uh, stay in it. I hope you will check out the series see, uh, you know, and I think it's just very important to be able to share this information. And so you can pass on this information as well. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. So ladies and gentlemen, That's it for today. I will see you on Thursday for a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City recap. Here is our guest, Ms. Sharon Lease. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS weird Lord of the Fly style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Unsurprisingly, it all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.
1: I'm Betcha's co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high, and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours.
0: Welcome back to So Bad, It's Good, presented by Betches Media. Now, we cover a lot of things on this show, and today I'm so uh, I'm thrilled to be able to cover this. I think this is such an important docu-series that I just watched. Uh, it's called Let Us Pray, A Ministry of Scandals. Now, it premiered on uh, ID Discovery, but now you can find it on Max. Uh, it actually hit the top 10 of all Max shows when it premiered, and it's on there. And it is just uh, it's a harrowing depiction of of the IFB the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church movement. Uh the four part series is directed by uh just this amazing woman who's already had this amazing career and I think it's all led up to this story. Um Sharon Lee's welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Sharon, I mean this just first off congratulations but it's weird to congratulate somebody on a story that is so, uh, you know, like I said, so harrowing, you know, you go into the lives of these women and you really tell this story of abuse and of these men abusing young women. And they all seem to kind of go by the same pattern of behavior, which the docu-series points out. How did you get involved in this? Why did you want to tell this story?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I do want to say congratulations to um the women who participated in this show because um I mean their their courage is really amazing and deserves to be congratulated. And those um,
0: women, oh, by the way, Ruthie Heiler, I believe, Kathy Durbin, Amanda Householder. I mean, these are just really amazing women that are brave enough to share this story because a lot of women, you know, do not have that. You know, there's a there's a pressure campaign usually in these situations, but these women were all brave enough. To, to talk. And I think that's the good that comes out of all of this is just hearing their message. I'm sorry to interrupt oh, you, but yeah. I just wanted to yeah, point really. out their names. I mean,
1: ampli- yeah. I mean, it's so rewarding as a filmmaker and as a storyteller to be able to amplify voices that have been silenced for so long. Um, it's it's a different type of reward than from any other um, project that I've worked on. Um, and then you, you asked me how I found out about it and how I got involved. Um, there was a uh, newspaper newspaper, um, a series of, um, articles, um, called the spirit of fear, um, written by, um, Sarah Smith. And, um, it was like four articles and I read the articles and I thought, wow, this, these are amazing women coming forward. And I was so, uh, taken aback that I had never heard of the IFB before. And, yeah. uh, and, and they are, they're so uh, ubiquitous. So I wa- really wanted to um, find out more. And so my curiosity about it, um, you know, led me to talk to Sarah Smith. And then she put me in touch with some of the women. And I found out that they had cases that were like, you know, ready to go to court. And I was like, this is really ripe for, um, you know, for this, these stories to be out.
0: Yeah, and I do want to highlight, Sarah Smith wrote this for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, you know, amazing reporting that actually led to this. Um, And you do this great thing in the the docu-series at the very beginning, kind of give us a, a peek into this the churches is you know there's a there's a preacher destroying a tv these are kind of like the preachers you guys from footloose john lithgow's character of like dancing's horrible women need to wear skirts all of these things that we look at and and you can kind of laugh at in a sense but then you realize it's so real this is a real story this isn't a movie these exist and it's this culture that you know quote unquote families good families were raised in but it's very Men are this way and women are supposed to be this way. And if you aren't this way, then you are sinning against God.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's so insular. And um, what's been amazing that with the release of this series and the, and the women seeing this, they like know everybody in the archival footage that we have. And they were sitting in in those in some of those sermons, like the smashing of the TV, like they were there. And uh, I didn't even know that when, when, when we put it in there, but that's all they knew. And so it's and for some of them, it's pretty new to be out into the real normal world right now.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine, or I kept imagining watching this, we're hearing these brave women's stories, but I'm sure there's so many women's stories we're not hearing that this will potentially give them the courage to step forward and kind of report their cycle of abuse. Because it all seems to be, like I said earlier, the same pattern of behavior. And these are in different areas, but they kind of all, like it's a a young woman in like Bible study and then is approached by their preacher or a side. I mean, that's the thing that was scary that you realize, oh my gosh, you can connect the dots on all of these stories
1: yeah I mean the stories are all too familiar and when they when they get together and they talk about like the grooming process and and the types of things that were done in terms of the when a pastor was found out about then he shuffled to another church even though they call themselves independent churches they just they help each other um and perpetuate um this horrible abuse among them and they're the protected
0: women. a lot of the times.
1: Yeah. That's the other thing yeah. that's
0: pointed out. They're protected in so many of these situations. Um, you know, as a filmmaker when you approach this, you see these articles, you see these women highlighted. And then, you know, can you tell us a little bit about behind the scenes of what it's like to approach these women to gain their trust? You know, because you have them in the docu-series, you know, there's some great shots of these women just standing on the street or, you know, they're actually having to be filmed in in an environment and having to, you know, recall all of these memories. How do you gain the trust of these women for them to be so open?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question and it's something really important that, Filmmakers always have to think about. And uh, first I'll say that trust is something that you that you keep gaining and regaining. Um, so each time you're with them, each time you interact with them, you have to be aware that you um, that your trust is on the line. And and there's lots of different levels and types of trust. They want to trust that you're going to actually tell their story in a way that they're comfortable with and that really honors their story. They want to trust that they can feel safe around you um, to to tell your story. They want to trust that you understand what what they're actually saying and that you're really that you're really listening. So there's so many different levels of trust. And some of the ways that we tried to help build trust was um, we had an all-female crew most of the time, so we had a. I love a, that. A, yeah, our DP um, uh, Yamit Sheminovitz is um, she's amazingly talented, and she's also a very sensitive woman. So it was great. I mean, the women got to know her and can trust her behind the camera. And then something that people don't always think about is our is the audio recordist, because the audio recorder sits in there for every single interview, and they're the ones putting the mic on people and um, so they're really close and they you know they have the headphones on, and they, they may be the one that has to say, "Excuse me, a truck just went by, and we really didn't hear that last." Thing oh, yeah. You just said. So, um, so it was, re- you know, and then with the tears, I mean, you look around at certain points during that, during an interview and I have the cinematographer is, is crying. Yeah. And Sam is crying and the audio recorders is crying. So, um, so I do think that all of that helps to build trust and it, and it continues even with, um, with the launch of the series, because then you're, you're talking to everybody. And then we're, we're doing, um, you know, PR and stuff. So the, the, the earning their trust, I feel like is something you do every day.
0: And that's such a great responsibility that you take on, and I'm sure that adds to the pressure of actually trying to tell this story, but also trying to maneuver through all of these personalities and making sure that you share the truth to this. I can't imagine what that's like for you as a job, and and I wanted to ask you about your career because you've been doing this for so long. I mean, you you've you've made some great projects through the years. I mean, if we could, how did you start? Why did you why did you know why docu series documentaries short form? How did this kind of Grab your attention when you were starting off.
1: Well, uh, I started off when my daughter was in uh, eighth grade and she was going into high school, and um, and at that time I was a single mom and I was thinking like, what are you, I was trying to find some source material and really <laughs> what do with uh, with a daughter going in into high school because you know we all have. Different types of memories about high school—either loved it or oh, yeah. really hated it—and um, and I didn't find much. And um, at that time, I was doing actually just marketing and advertising communication stuff, and I was getting into video production. And um, and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. Maybe um, I could do a documentary about the girls going through high school. And, your and daughter so- was like,
0: "No way! Are you kidding me? You're not oh, gonna yeah. die!" I'm like, "Please! Are you kidding me?" Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did one interview with my daughter at that time and and that was it. She, she preferred being a mole and coming home from school. (laughs) She's
0: she's deep undercover in high school. Perfect. Yes.
1: Yes. So, uh, so that was a series called high school confidential, which was on Um, TV,
0: right? 2008.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and then from there, and so I really started out with female centric kinds of uh, storytelling, and and kind of stay close to that. I kind of veer off into different things um, here and there, but I, um, but female centric stories are really important to me. And so then I went on to then do uh, more series and more films. I actually did a second season of High School Confidential. We TV asked me to do it again and find another find another city to do it in, and so I did it in um, in Chicago.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I. I love the female-centric uh, of it all, because I believe that those are the real stories that we need to hear, you know. and I feel like TV, podcasts, all of those things are able to push those stories forward now more than ever before, and I think it kind of provides this uh, you know, comfortability for women to come forward and share all of these stories, which seem to be very similar, and I love that you get to highlight this, but at the same time, I just imagine the mental toll it takes to keep going, you know, your experience as a woman yourself, but then to hear all of these other women. Experiences, And I was watching, let us pray. And I have the privilege of being a white straight male that, you know, I went to Catholic church. I was an altar boy. I was all, but nothing weird happened to me. Nothing, you know, like, and then you see these stories and you see how real it is. And it, it's so hard because you want to believe in the world and you want to believe in these, these structures, religious structures and things of that nature and when i was a kid you did like if a if a pre, like a priest was like you know a form of a parent and you see through this story how it was abused time and time again under the name of god
1: yeah it's uh yeah it was unbelievable and um you know every day after we would do an interview or we were um you know just filming a scene or something it it, it does it just it, it weighs on you, and you just—I uh, mean, I love each of the women that were in the in the series. And sometimes after an interview, I just wanted to hug them and take them home and just take care of them, make them tea, and take care of them because um, it, because it's just—it's unfathomable the things that happened to them, um, and and especially when there were when there were instances where their their parents were also brainwashed. And, um, and so these kids didn't even have, you know, as kids, they didn't even, they didn't have the love or support and they had nowhere to go. And they also had no um, perspective on what was happening to them because they weren't, they were never told that that was wrong. And in fact, some of them, like Kathy Durbin was told that it, it was her fault.
0: Yes, And some of them came from broken homes, so this was a way to actually ingratiate and actually have a sense of community, which I just then thought, you know, it's like, man then it sets these women on a course for the rest of their life unless they reclaim their narrative and so many people don't get the chance to do that and I thought that's what was so powerful is just these women claiming their narrative because you can point out to the fascinating stories of Jack Hiles, Jack Schaap, Bruce Goddard, John Jenkins who are highlighted in all this really horrible horrible men in my I don't think in my opinion I think they just are but at the same time I think what really triumphs is the women's stories because I think the nitty gritty dirty stuff of the D Details. Of course, that's like a car crash we can't turn away from. But then it's these women reclaiming this, like you know, Ruthie Heiler. She founded the Blind Eye uh, Movement. What is the Blind Eye Movement for my audience? So
1: uh, the Blind Eye Movement started in Gaylord, Michigan, where um, where s- s- some of uh, Ruthie's abuse happened, and some and the other in other women at um, at, at Grace Baptist Church. And after I believe it, they formed that right after Sarah Smith's article came out and they thought, well, you know, now we're using our voice and now we you know, there's there's power in numbers and let's get together and do something. So they formed the blind eye movement and then they started getting support and um, other people, women, especially from uh, around the country that started to join. And it's really just um, they want to be a place for people to come to, to share what's happened to them, to get support. Um, also, to talk about what legal possibilities. I mean, they're not a, a legal organization, but they can help and talk about what what they did in their store in in their lives in terms of lawsuits or going to the to the police. So it's a really powerful organization that's um, continuing to gain momentum.
0: Have you found in any of your research that these men realize? That they're evil, that they've done evil things, that they've, you know, like, that's the thing that I kept while watching this is like, you know, any kind of personal responsibility, because it was always excuses. It was always I mean, there's even one gentleman that just uh, there's a there's a phone call, I believe, where he's like, you know, admits to wrongdoing, but won't really admit that he actually did the thing that he did to the girl. And I just thought, wow, like, what do these men go through in their minds? What is their thought process that they're doing? And especially when the teachings of the Bible are involved in all of this?
1: Uh, yeah, I know uh, it's mind-boggling. Uh, I I will say that I I believe that there are some um, IFB pastors who are um, who really do just want to be um, a good person and a good pastor, and um, that they probably have um, you know, congregants who know that about them. Um, but I, I personally didn't, um, have that much interaction with the, with those people. Yeah. Um, good, and good. Uh, yeah. And I will say that those, um, like Bruce Goddard did not return my phone call, um, Uh, you know, that uh, Jenkins did not want to participate in the documentary. And from what I see now, because there's been response in sermons that have been online about what happened uh, about the documentary. It's, it's unbelievable to me that people are um, like, there's a past an IFB pastor who's online. Um, You can, you can find it. He says, um, Ruthie, why would she go out to Washington? She's fourteen years old. She was abused at twelve. Why? Why would she do that? Like she really knew what was going on, and she wanted to go. Or, um, or there was another one um, about Rachel that said, "Well, my daughter was her roommate, and she was bragging about having an affair with the pastor." Okay, well if a kid is bragging about having a relationship with a pastor, maybe there's something wrong here and maybe that's not even true, which it wasn't even true that she did that. So it's, I, I, I don't, I, I think they have, it, I don't, I don't understand, you know, it's, it's, it's fodder for a psychologist, but it's kind of like they think they are above the law above God equal to God. And that what they do is if it's, considered bad in any way, it's not their fault. And they really exonerate themselves.
0: I mean, the culture of victim blaming, uh, we see that everywhere. Um, You know, this is four parts. Did you set out to do a four part docuseries or was the story so large that you needed four parts and you found out after you finished filming?
1: I really needed eight parts, <laughs> but you can, well, by the only... way, I was
0: wondering, will there be, I mean, I, I was wondering, would there be a season two sharing more stories and also sharing what's happened after this got released? Because I wanted to talk to you about after this got released and potential reactions from the IFB, but I did wonder like how you pieced this together in four parts and what potentially hit the cutting room floor stories that we potentially didn't get to see. How did this become four parts?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's really challenging because, um, you know, when I went into it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a feature doc or it was going to be a series. And then it did seem like as we were filming that there are lots of stories that we can intercut. So it, it was more of a series than, than one, than a one-off. Um, and like you said, there are so many stories. I mean, we just really touched the surface of some of the stories that, that you – some of the women that you meet in there, like, um, like there's this woman, Brianna, and there's a man, Amanda Clydens, and there's so many other people that we didn't really get to tell their stories because you have to decide when you're doing this, unfortunately, whose story can we, can we really tell um, that, that gives a, a good arc, that's a beginning, middle, and end. And some of the stories like with um, Ruthie and with Kathy, like they hadn't been to, to um, court yet. So we were yeah. able to tell some things in real time. And also Amanda Householder's story, um, her, her parents, um, the trial had not started yet. And it still hasn't started yet. And they're, they're, um, they've been charged with over 100 uh, felonies of all types of abuse. And so that that trial will start in uh will start next year. So it was really is so difficult to uh to cut down. I mean that's 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 the hardest thing because you do like you learn about these stories and you you um not only want to amplify their voices, but they're really compelling stories and compelling voices. So yeah, I vote for a season two. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, listen, it really is ripe. And I am curious about where a lot of these stories head and the good that can come out of a series like this because it gets people talking about this. It really brings it out into the light, such a dark topic and a dark subject matter, which I'm telling you guys, this this is really kind of, this is an intense watching, a viewing experience, but it is well worth your time. But you have to really know what you're going into. But I think it is really worth it. But I just wonder as a filmmaker, you know, this is such heavy material. Were there light moments for you at all? I mean, did you ladies share laughs in the course of this because it wasn't all female crew? I imagine there is strength in that. And at a certain point, you know, you're like, we are reclaiming this kind of narrative. Was there any positive
1: moments through filming? Yeah, yeah, there definitely were. And I think there's one scene um, that we always internally just called um, meat and cheese. Um, and that it's in uh, it's the end, in the epi- in the end of episode three where where the women meet in Wildemar and they're they're outside and they're having cheese and crackers and and <laughs> wine and um I mean there was there was conversation among us of. Do we do we not? Is this too light? Are we making are we making light of this very serious situation that they're in? And what we wanted to show is that, yeah, these women have have been abused and they have lots of hard days and hours and every day, but they're also people who enjoy life. And have a lot to live and have a lot to celebrate. So we wanted it was really important to us to include that, include that scene because we do want people to know that. They don't go around every day just thinking about um their abuse and feeling like a victim. I mean they feel more of a you know, they're they're survivors and they're real people. To celebrate. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That is and, so
0: important to show.
1: Yeah, and in terms of uh, reclaiming, because you've mentioned that a couple times, I do want to say that um, we were very intentional in terms of the um, the setups for the interviews and the interview environments. Um, and we talked to the, each of the women about like where they would be most comfortable being interviewed to represent a space that they will reclaim. And so, um, and there were places that they rejected and places that they suggested. So um, like, for instance, Amanda Householder is interviewed in what looks like an isolation room, which represents the boarding schools that, that her parents owned and made her give punishment to kids in. So um, having that stark room with the one you know light bulb was really emblematic of what she had experienced. But we also didn't want it to be a triggering experience. We wanted it to be a positive experience in a place that 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 we could re they could reclaim. So like at the end of it, and we shot this but we didn't use it. Like she pulls down all the carpeting off off the walls, you know, and kicks the box away yeah. and stuff. So we um so all of the spaces were were very um intentionally chosen. You're directing
0: these interviews with these women. Are you also the person asking the questions directly in those scenes?
1: So throughout this process, my, um, my partner on this was, uh, Sam Hake and she's, um, the co-executive producer. And so we went through this step by step together, hand in hand. And she did some of the interviews and I did, and I did other interviews. Um, and, uh, but we both, we sat in on each other's interviews. So we were there together and at, at the end of the way we like to do it is not interrupt each other, but at the end, we might then step in and say, um, uh, you know, I have a few questions just just to add or I want to clarify.
0: Um, are there moments throughout the course of this, I always wonder this being a fan of docu-series in general, that you were surprised, that you were surprised with the information or the story that you were giving, something that you didn't expect in pre-interviews or anything like that? Were there moments with these ladies that you felt that?
1: Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry,
2: Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to
1: ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I would say that, oh gosh, so many stories, so many of the stories did surprise me. I mean, they were shocking. Um, I, you know, because we didn't go into, because you have to, I I think, you know, be careful when you're talking to people about traumatic experiences. So in pre-interviews, we didn't always go into everything because we didn't want to have them relive that and talk about it so many times so i mean almost every like the story that kathy durbin talks about in those isolation rooms and and one of the girls being turned upside down in a chair and and then her uh for hours and then her uh the the pastor coming in and then shredding her teddy bear in front of her while she's upside down like those kinds of stories you just sit there and it's just shocking and, and the audience like it,
0: then pictures that, I mean, the, like yeah. we're sitting there hearing yeah. this and you can, you can visualize the entire thing. And then it's like, you realize this is a docu series. This isn't narrative. I mean, this isn't fictional narrative storytelling.
1: Yeah, I know. You just, you, you can't write some of the stuff that, that we heard.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it is interesting then, you know, going through some of the footage you use of the preachers and you're like, Of course, they're being like doing weird, dramatic things. That's what they do on their, their pulpit, their stage. I mean, it's all this show. They're, they're deranged, demented men. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so the release of this, this came out on the 24th, I believe. And I think it's really gaining traction through coming out on max. It's got a, you can see the, the, really the, the beautiful artwork there on the front screen of max. Uh, it's there for everybody. And they really do make a, a, you know, a good job of promoting that. I've noticed the last couple of times I've seen on max. Um, uh, but, uh, what has been the response of the IFB?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I'll tell you that, um, from hearing, because I'm in touch with the women every day now, especially since it's come out and, um, there are literally hundreds of women who are coming forward now and reaching out to these women. And I, I spoke to the prosecutor in Gaylord, Michigan, and he just met with five women who want to press charges. And, um, and then there's a whole church, an IFB church that has never had any abuse, um, allegations um, that have come out. And they have like several that are now going to come out. So there's, um, there's a lot. It's, and, and like I said before, it's just so rewarding as a filmmaker to see that happen because people are, are raising their voices now.
0: Yeah, I mean, do we know how many active IFB churches there are out there as of today?
1: So the estimate that I've had is about 5,000 and that there are 8 million people that are associated with those churches. If you pick any place on a map, and go one one mile from there, there's an IFB church. And people just are totally unaware that The Handmaid's Tale life is like right down the street from them.
0: Yeah, the Starbucks of religion. Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, the women, we, we, you know, this is coming out and more women are coming forward. But have you gotten blowback from these churches themselves of like, this is not us because – I would think that they would get more protective, more insular and actually try to take down this docu-series and punch a bunch of holes on it. Have you had that experience yet?
1: Um, I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, there have been some, some, um, sermons that have been online that really, yeah, that have been, uh, yes, (laughs) quoting and, and, and kind of, um, making their own statements and ridiculous responses to the, to the docu-series. Um, so, um, that those have been kind of, kind of crazy, but, um, but I am just waiting. Cause I, I cannot imagine them staying silent for that long.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I was I was watching this thinking, oh, I wonder what this response will be and what they are planning. At the same time, it's so interesting because this isn't filmed in this fantastical way. It's very real. It's not because I've watched a couple of things actually on Max lately about cults and other things like that. And there's always this ridiculous element to it that kind of pushes it over into almost reality television land. Mm -hmm. And this isn't that. Let Us Pray is not that. It's very real. So I don't know sometimes if these people actually watched it, how they would truly argue uh their points it's like i'm glad you're good or you think you're good but the 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 system that you've set up is rotten to the core yeah
1: i mean the things that i've seen online are saying that the women are lying yeah i read some of that yeah uh, their abusers have already gone to prison so isn't that wild maintain that it's it's very shocking just unbelievable
0: yeah, belief uh, belief in uh, something is sometimes a very dangerous thing that actually clouds your vision, I've found, through so many things. But, you know, you, even those sermons, I'm telling you, Sharon, that's the perfect way to open season two of this. Season two, we start with the sermons uh, uh, of this, which actually is kind of gratifying in some sense, because I even think that then the IFB members will be curious and that it's out there on max and it's out there on ID discovery where they can watch this and you're not trying to hide this. This isn't something, this is something that has been researched. These women are telling the truth, you know, believe these women. And I think that is the best argument you would possibly have is watch the show. Right, right, right. Exactly. You want to help me produce it? I do actually. I mean, this really, I was really, and by the way, I want to say you're from, you're, you're from Overland park, right? Yes. I grew up in Olathe, Kansas.
1: Really? Wow.
0: Oh, you just cut out. That's
1: amazing.
0: Oh, sorry, Sharon, you just cut out. Oh, Shar, you just cut out.
1: Oh, I said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Is Oak Park Mall still there? Is Metcalf Mall still there? <laughs> Medcamp Mall is not.
0: Oh, no. It's It's been been a while since I've been back. Yeah, no, I, gosh, that's where I grew up. And, and, uh, yeah, I just was reading your history and I was like, oh my gosh, Overland Park, that's amazing. Um, but, uh, I guess right now it seems like you're very actively involved still in these women's stories. You said, oh gosh, five more women came forward. They're pressing charges in Gaylord, Michigan. I mean, it seems like you still have your, you know, nose to the ground of just really these stories. Is there a, is there for you as a filmmaker, is there, you know, sometimes with actors, they say, Oh, you know, after I'm done with the part, I've got to put it to bed for you though, as a Mm -hmm. filmmaker and something very real, you can't put this to bed per se, but I'm sure you want to cover other stories and things like that. How as a filmmaker, do you handle something like this once it's released?
1: Uh, well, this is kind of the time when you get even closer to your subjects. I feel when it, when it's, when you're, we've launched this together out into the world. So I feel like there's a big connection among the subjects and, um, and our team, uh, on the production side. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, yeah, each, each of my projects are kind of like, are kind of like children. So, you know, I, I, I usually stay in touch with people because I always want to know what's going on with them. And they're so used to like giving you updates on, on what's going on that uh, they continue to. And I kind of like that. Any of the women
0: that were involved, the main women, what did they think of this? Are you allowed to share their reactions to watching all four parts of this? Has, has any of the women had problems with any of the narrative that was told or are they all really proud of this?
1: um you know that's one of the scariest parts of yeah. uh, being a filmmaker because I, uh, I we sometimes you have the opportunity to um to show them in person and you get their get the reaction we we were not afforded that in terms of time because we were editing right up until when it uh came out so um I was I I was anxious then when it first came out, and you know we were all like on a group text, and then I had individuals you know texting me, and um and it was so rewarding for me and and Sam to hear to to see these texts that they were like you told my story beautifully, it's exactly what I you know what I hoped it would be. I'm glad you didn't put this scene in. I'm so happy with what you did. So that was really that was so rewarding and I'll say that all the women felt that way and then um Amanda Householder very sweetly said to me you know there was just one little part <laughs> I wish we really like Gave more talked a little bit more about how these um how these uh women these girls' homes really were were formed and we could go into the background and not have it so much about Jack Hiles and I and I said I understand because we really we actually had that and we had edited it out, but um but yeah, so there's a whole thing on how the all the group uh those um reform um Schools got, um, you know, got started. So um, that would be great if we could, if we could do something like that. But I and I understood, and I felt like, you know, she was right when when she told me that.
0: Um, uh, I yeah, I mean, I think all of these women, I was touched by each one of their stories. For my audience or any other audience. You know, do you ever think about how the audience approaches something like this? How you want an audience to go into watching something like this? Because in this day and age, it is hard to get eyes on anything. And this is, you know, you you know, this is a very important story. But like I said, it's a hard story. Like, what do you want audiences to know going into this? And how do you hope they receive?
1: Well, I hope it's a cautionary tale. And I hope that um, that for parents who watch it, um, this is just something for like general, um, abuse in terms of parents knowing, like getting some ideas of what, how they can prepare their, uh, their daughters for being around men who might be predators. Um, and then how open they are to listening to them if something has happened and not to be afraid and to believe them. I mean, always err on believing the woman, like, what's the worst that can happen? I, I just think you, uh, it, it, you know, what I've learned too, is that women, like, why would someone say this if it wasn't true? Like, why would anyone want to, because there's so much yeah. shame involved in that. Um, Like, I so I, I think that there's, there's, you know, that women should be listened to. Um Anybody, anybody who's talking about being abused should be listened to. And yes, there might be the, a case or two where someone is not, it remembers it differently. Um, But I also hope that people look at this um, and know that if it's them, if this, if this is a story that is related to something that's happened to them, that they can do something about it. And if that something means that they get support, if that something means that they just, they get help and being able to tell their story or it's in terms of criminal charges, like there is something that can be done. Um, there's also a thing about statute of limitations in different, in different states. And so I do hope that people pay attention to that. And, And when legislation in their states come up, that they realize how important it is for women to be able to tell their stories of abuse years later, because many women can't even deal with it or realize it until 10 years later, 10 or 15 years later, because it's so traumatic.
0: And this also points out that, I mean, this is not just religion, you guys, this is everywhere. I mean, we have so many stories of a power dynamic, of men abusing a power dynamic with a younger woman. I mean, like we even this to throw it to pop culture, Puff Daddy is now facing a lot of charges of women coming forward from 15 years ago. And there's like a pattern of behavior. You always have to look at patterns of behavior. And I think that's such an amazing thing that, you know, docu-series and things of that nature are now bringing to the light, but it's the same
1: story all the time. Yeah, like Nanette in the, in the film who, you know, her abuse happened, oh gosh, probably 40 years ago. And she says that when she, when she's come out recently, people say to her, why didn't you say this before? And she, and she actually even says, I did. I did, but yeah. nobody listened
0: nobody listened that was that, that, that and that's me and and she didn't have the benefit of social media of of docu series of being able to get that message out and I think if we have all of this this is such a great way to use these platforms even if it is sometimes harrowing to hear but we have to face what actually is going on in the world and you know let us pray really does that with both feet planted on the ground and I just think wow it really was a very uh, a powerful watch. Um, and I, I hope you guys will check this out. And I guess just as a fan of you now, what are the other stories that are intriguing you out there in terms of women? Do you have a list of dream projects? I know it's, it's bad luck to ask somebody what they're doing next, but at the same time, I don't know when I'm going to talk to you next. And like, what do we have in the pipeline? Because, you know, I know all documentarians and, and filmmakers, they usually have like, oh, I've got six projects going on right now. What is next for you? Uh,
1: well, I just had another, uh, Project that was released on the on the uh, New Yorker platform called Parker. And it was a film that uh, premiered at Sundance this um, in in January, um, and that has um, actually Oscar qualified. So, um, oh, yeah. So, I'm, so I'm, on the, I, I'm, I'm on the I'm on I'm on the campaign with that. Um, oh so that's been so. Sometimes you know it's the it's after you your projects have this world after it's been launched into the world. So. Um, so I'm working on that. And then I have definitely have some things that are, that are in development right now that you will love to hear about soon. I mean, do you trust
0: your, do you trust your gut now? Was there a time when you were like, I don't know if this makes a good story. And now through your career of like, if I see something and it kind of gets my spider sense tingling, do you trust your, your initial reaction now with something?
1: That's such topics. a great question because uh, I just realized that the other day that I was thinking I didn't trust it because, uh, because there were stories that were coming in and I was like, and I'm like, well, wait a- maybe I just don't know. And then this one came in and I was like, I'm, g- I'm going after that and I'm all into it right now. I love that that 's what
0: I mean, listen, I think the audience loves that too of like how these things get made and how ideas actually come to our screens because I think this year, and you know it 's like we are in this year of like amazing docu series that you can really dig into that's going to show you a different part of the world, but there's similarities with all of us that I think kind of rise to the occasion, and a lot of you women out there, you have your own stories, and I think that is it 's so important to bring those out into the light, and I think let us pray does that so brilliantly, and you guys you can find this. It's uh, ID discovery, but the, you know, right now I watched all of this on max on the home screen. It's right there. It's a four parts. You can break it up. You can watch it all at once. Maybe I suggest breaking it up a little bit, uh, because each one of these kind of delve in great framing devices and, uh, really, uh, uh, disturbed me, but also gave me hope for the future. And I think that's what it leads, leaves you with. Um, so Sharon go support her and also go find this Parker. Let's get her, let's get her an Oscar. Am I, I don't know where can we watch Parker?
1: You can find go to, you can Google Parker film, the New Yorker and, uh, and it'll come up and it's, it's free. You can watch it free. Well, you, you
0: said the magic word, uh, our audience loves free, but, uh, Sharon yeah. Lise, thank you so much for being here. Really powerful piece of work. And, um, you really just hit it out of the park. And I just really, uh, really appreciate all of these women that, that were in this. And I, I'm really, um, I'm really excited to look forward to what they do with all of this and where this yeah. goes from here. And I do hope there is a season two of some sort.
1: Well, thank you. And I also want to mention that um, Discovery ID has been such they've been amazing to work with. And there's been a bunch of women that that have been on the team on on that end. Um, And they have been so supportive and so emotionally invested in these stories um, and and how empowering the women are that it uh, it has just been um, just really a joy to work with them.
0: Well, I I think, and I get that actually in, in dealing with some of the ID discovery team, you know, they really do believe in these stories. And we were talking to like, this is, this is real. Sometimes you'll get docu-series that has a kind of fantastical element where you can kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of a laughable moment or you can make light of it. And I think this is such a great example of, you know, just really straightforward storytelling. So thank you and congratulations, Sharon. I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Hey guys, it's Ryan here. I wanted to do a little addendum to this because I talked to Sharon in December, but I wanted to say I found two clips of one of the IFB uh, pastors talking about a reaction to this story. And I thought it would just be interesting to kind of even paint a a further picture from what we just talked about. So here are two back-to-back clips to end the show. Have a great rest of your Wednesday,
2: folks. So one of the girls that cried, oh, she cried on the show. Oh, big crocodile tears. They didn't mean anything to me. And I know this was going to get around on the Internet. I'm telling you. I'm going to tell you why. Because my daughter was her dorm supervisor, uh uh-huh, who told me that she bragged about the fact that she was having an affair with one of the assistant pastors who actually was a school teacher. Oh, wait a minute here. You're either proud of it or you're ashamed of it. It can't be both of them, amen. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. in one now, listen to this. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I know I know what I'm talking about here. One of the girls from Gaylord, there's only three. One of the girls from Gaylord, Michigan, she said she was abused when she was 12 and 13. And the Michigan would not prosecute because they said they didn't have enough evidence. So, anyway, so the guy quits and he moves all the way out to the other side of the country, Washington State. Okay. About two or three years later now, she is now 15 years of age. So she gets a call from her alleged uh, abuser and says, "Um, my wife is about ready to have another baby. Would you come on out and babysit? My question is, why did you go out? Why did you go out? Did the pastor force you to get on that airplane? I don't think so. Or maybe it wasn't your mom or dad that forced you to get on the airplane. Or maybe the allegations were looked into and there was no evidence of it. Everybody tells the story in their best light. You know it's the truth. Because you do as well. Okay? I'm not saying she's, absent, she's telling a falsehood. I'm just saying she's not telling all the truth. That's very possible. Are you with me? I'm, I'm almost done. So, we have... So Bad It's Good is a Betches
0: Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge morales Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at sobaditsgoodwithryanbailey at gmail.com and follow the show at sobaditsgoodwithryanbailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to patreon.com forward slash sobaditsgood. Stay bad, baddies.
1: batches